Welcome to the podcast, Honesty Hour. This is our second episode. I'm really excited to get this started. This week, we actually have another guest, and I'll introduce him in a little bit. But today, we are joined by um, our speaker coordinator for the podcast, Imani Johnson. And she's going to give a little bit of an introduction about herself, and then we'll kind of um, get into uh, asking our speaker questions and learning more about them. Imani, do you want to talk about yourself a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, again, Imani. Um I'm usually behind the scenes getting the speakers together, but today I'm here to help a co-host. I guess a little bit about me. I'm a business major, um, and I joined Honesty Hour really because even though I might not personally struggle with mental health issues um, in terms of like an actual like diagnosis, I've seen, you know, things go on with my friends and my family and just finding ways to, you know, be better in those situations and let others know that mental health is not something to be ashamed of. So. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing. Yeah. It's, um, it's going to be a little bit different from last week because last week was just me, but now we have Imani and um, yeah. So I guess starting out for today, we can both like kind of say how we're feeling. Um, For me personally, I'm just kind of, I'm really exhausted. I would say it's just because of um, school's kind of picking up and there's just a lot to do, a lot of assignments and midterms coming up. So it's pretty stressful. Um, What I've been doing kind of is definitely like allocating time to just focus on myself sometimes, even though I have a lot of work to do, I'll just kind of um, usually put at least like a little bit of time where I can do something I enjoy, maybe like go swimming or, kind of maybe just watch a TV show or something just because I kind of forget to do that one again to midterm season. So that's just kind of what I've been doing. How about you? Yeah, I agree. It's definitely that time of the semester where uh, things start picking up again. Um, I guess for me, I've actually been running, which sounds awful. Um, But I think it's kind of helpful um, just because it's really like that time where you're really just focusing on how much you're suffering at the moment and not on anything else. <laughs> so yeah. listening to my music and trying to breathe, like, so. That's I mean, yeah, cool. exercise is definitely a really great way to kind of put aside everything else you're focused on, just kind of focus on the physical pain, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, can I breathe right now? I don't have yeah. any assignments in that moment. So that's good. <laughs> Awesome. Well, so our guest this week is actually a student at USC. He's Amani's friend. Um, and she, uh, do you want to explain like how you guys met? Um, yeah, so we met online over the summer, just talking about stuff that's going on and stuff. So um, yeah, and then from there, we've just, you know, we haven't met in person because of the whole Corona stuff, but it's been really cool getting to know him, getting to know about BSA and everything. So, oh, you guys have never met in person? No. Yeah. Oh wow! Wait, I didn't know that. That's really cool. Yeah. So you you meet through like a Facebook group or I don't how did yeah. you? Do yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Okay, so our guest for today is Justin Powell. He's a sophomore at USC, and he's majoring in business administration and has a minor in the music industry at the Thornton School of Music. He's an active member in BSA, which is the Black Student Assembly at, on USA's, USC's campus. And um, this year, he's serving as the assistant director. So it's great to have him, and it'll be great to get into an in-depth conversation about mental health as well as his experience at USC. So 
Welcome. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. So you, how's your day been so far? I'm pretty good. Just had some meetings with um, BSA for USG um, related oh. purposes. A lot of budget stuff going on, but just that. Is it a lot of um, commitment, especially since we're all online? Do you have a lot of meetings with USG? Um, yeah, they're just trying to up the lines of communication since obviously we can't have our in-person office hours as we did last semester, but just a lot of a lot of Zoom calls as everyone's doing. Yeah. Are you feeling any Zoom burnout? For sure. Yeah. No, I totally feel you. Um, yeah. So I guess like kind of starting off, just maybe you can kind of discuss like why you chose USC and... Um, I guess the specifically the business program as well as um, the music industry minor that you have. And then, um, yeah, then we can just kind of go from there and have like a cool conversation. Yeah. So I've always really been interested in the music industry and I know USC had a really good music industry program and being right there in Los Angeles would help me a lot with like internships and different networking opportunities. So that was a big reason USC was one of my top choices. And um, obviously Marshall, has a really good reputation in LA and like the rest of Southern California area. So majoring in business administration wasn't really a hard choice for me. It was something that like, I knew my skill set would transfer well um, to Marshall courses. So yeah, yeah, that's why I'm a business major. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I think that's definitely um, for me too. What kind of drew me to USC was hearing about the Marshall school of business. Cause yeah, we would do you know, and now it's even, crazy because now we have the um the head of who was the head of the business school at UPenn now is the head of USC which is crazy so that's cool yeah so I remember when I talked to you a little bit earlier you were saying um you kind of talked about the types of music you're interested in um do you want to like go into that and why you like those types of music and then maybe some like artists that you really like too yeah, so my favorite type of music right now is definitely R&B. It's something that I grew up around. Everyone in my community was listening to R&B. Some of my favorite artists, I guess, I like Ari Lennox a lot. Um, Sir, who performed at the Welcome Back concert, so that was really cool. Um, Jasmine Sullivan, who's finally making a comeback. So, yeah, oh. those are some artists. I like a lot of chill music that yeah. just relaxes you. Is there specifically something, too, that you like about um is it the style or is it also the like lyricism with, that they use? Is there something specific? Um, for me, I really like the musicality behind the lyrics that's going on because a lot of times with like mainstream rap, it's not very musical, the yeah. um, actual beats that are going on. So a lot of the technicality stuff in R&B attracts me. Cool. Cool. So you grew up in Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what part of Chicago? The South Side. Cool. And then um, what, what school did you go to? Um, I went to Walter Payton College Prep. So the way the high schools in Chicago are set up, so obviously there's like the public school and private school sector, but then there's like the neighborhood schools. And then we have selective enrollment schools, which basically have an entry process pretty similar to college, where it's like a three-step thing, where in seventh grade, they like it's out of 900 points. So 300 points come like from your seventh grade grades. And, like, every B you get takes out, like, 25 points. Every C takes out, like, 50 points. And then your standardized test from seventh grade is another um, 300 points. And then, like, you have to take some big, crazy test in eighth grade. And there's, like, nine selective enrollment schools, which all get, like, way better funding than the 
um, neighborhood schools, which is a whole problem in itself. But yeah. once you get into one of those, is um you have a better chance of like getting into college than a lot of the neighborhood schools. Was it like your parents like planned for you to always go to one of those schools? Yes. Yeah, so a lot of parents in Chicago, it's even like competitive from like the age of four because we have regional gifted wow. centers as well that are like also in the public school system. Mm-hmm. So like those schools like funnel you into the selective enrollment schools. So it's just really competitive to try to get to the resources since there are so many schools, but like the education funds aren't unlimited, of course. Yeah. So, but so the these schools are they? So are they mainly high schools or are they also middle schools too? So, um, I found that out when I came to USC. Like, I thought everywhere was like this, where it goes elementary to high school. We don't really have middle schools. So oh, okay. Regarding <laughs> eighth, so we have I think it's like three or four classical schools, and then like five regional gifted centers. And those are usually um, kindergarten to eighth grade or first to eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And they usually have better teachers, more resources, smaller class sizes, um, stuff like that. And then like they help you get higher test scores to get into the more selective high schools. Okay, cool, cool. So like what was your experience going to one of those schools? Did you enjoy it? Um, also, was there anything that you didn't like? And then how was the transition to USC from there? Um, well, my experience there it definitely, I want to say, was a positive one. It definitely um, prepared me for USC, especially with like the diversity aspect, because the way a lot of the um, selective aroma schools were set up, especially mine, since it was the top one in the city, it had a very small black population. And a lot of people came from like the suburbs and would rent properties in the city to like qualified for the selective enrollment school. So it was a really competitive and toxic environment from like the age of 14. So we were always just trying to compete and like take as many AP classes as you could um, get the highest test scores. It was, it was not a healthy place for teenagers to say the least, but it was a lot. Do you think that also kind of, um, I guess, because you already are starting out in a competitive environment, did it make it the transition to USC a little bit easier, would you say? Um, yeah, I would say so, because especially like being in Marshall, of course, there's like that reputation of Marshall Snakes where everyone's being super competitive to try to beat the curve in their classes. It was almost Marshall like, curve. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't like a curve at our old school, but there was definitely a system of trying to be the best in all of your classes. I know like my senior year, someone I, there was like some illegal shady betting ring on like who got into what colleges and their test scores it was not it was not a good place to say the least but it definitely prepared me for USC's culture <laughs> yeah that makes sense oh gosh yeah I definitely want to also kind of so um how would you say your community at your school versus so um, how would you say your community at your school versus your community at home? How did those compare as well? Was there a difference or do you, did you see or did you have a lot of friends that you lived around that also went to the same schools? Mm-hmm. So um, one thing, especially about like the magnet selective enrollment schools versus the neighborhood schools, there typically weren't people that lived around you that went to school with you. So I know my commute on public transportation was like an hour and a half to and from or Two was an hour and a half, and from was also an hour and a half getting to and from school. So I didn't have a lot of people that lived around me that went to school with me. 
So my community back at home was predominantly African-American. And um, at school, we were only, I believe, 10% of the student population. And I remember my first like two or one and a half years, my friend group was super diverse. And then after Donald Trump's election, like the school, it was really weird. It just split where mm-hmm. like all the white students hung out together. Then all the students of color would hang out together. Yeah. So that was something that um, you could like easily see the divide in our school with like the social circles and like who even hung out, went to parties after school. It was um, it was pretty divided after 2016. How big was your class, would you say? Um, my class, I think it was 215. So it wasn't too big like compared to most Chicago high schools. Like most classes are like 400, 500. But, yeah. That's um, interesting though, because it's like, that's not that big of a number, but you're seeing these divides between people who you like knew, I guess, before the election. Did you experience anything in terms of your own friend groups kind of adjusting based on that or being affected by the election? Um, I would say so. I think a lot of people, like you see it across the country as well, became emboldened by Trump's election to like say whatever was on their mind and not hold yeah. stuff back. So a lot of more um, racialized incidents started popping up around the school and even in my friend group. And that's when I really became involved with our Black Student Union back at high school. So I served as the president of that for my last two years in high school. So that was just something that you could easily see going on. Yeah. And so what would you guys do like at the Black Student, with the Black Student Union? What were you guys trying to achieve? And also mm-hmm. how many students were in that too? Because you said there it was a small population of um, Black students at the school. Yes, so in the actual club, there were probably roughly like 60 students that would regularly come to meetings and events. And we would really just throw a lot of events and have meetings to host a safe space for Black students in the class and the school because a lot of times in the classroom, there will be like either two or three Black students um, there. So like you wouldn't really feel comfortable or have imposter syndrome in those classes. So we really wanted to provide that safe space for black students at school. That's great. Um, I guess kind of with like my experience too, with like it's pretty similar, um, maybe a little less competitive, but um, I guess if there was something like, I guess during these times with like the whole like Black Lives Matter and all of that, did you like then go back like to address your high school? Cause I know that my high school did that where we set up like Instagram page and like stuff like that. I know like some schools in the area kind of like went back to their administration to like point out stuff. Did that happen at your school too? Or Yes. Yeah, so an Instagram page started called Black at Payton, or I believe it's called BIPOC at Payton, where um, a lot of people were giving their testimonies of experiences that they went through. And it's kind of morphed into a space where um, current students are voicing their concerns and alumni are being there as a system for support to um, help them through these times. I know like a lot of the seniors right now are stressed out about college applications being virtual and still having to deal with like a lot of racist um, behavior via e-learning. So a lot of the alumni are there trying to help them out with that. Um, Our principal actually resigned over the um, BIPOC at Payton thing because a lot of stuff we found out he swept under the rug to keep our like pristine image alive to make sure we kept getting funding. So there was a lot of um, racist behavior by students and teachers that just got swept under the rug and never really addressed um, properly. 
I had one question though about like what you were talking about. So racist behavior in e-learning settings, what exactly was going on with that? And have you also been experiencing any of that with USC being online? Um, so back in high school, apparently they have like a discord server going on to like try to make friends and still communicate outside of class. And I guess it's kind of like group me, but a different um, platform. And there was like a dark humor channel within the discord and dark humor is kind of just like a, a dog whistle for racist jokes. And it was a lot of um, racist jokes, a lot of misogynistic jokes going on in that channel. A lot of students obviously didn't feel welcome seeing their peers that they had to go to class with the very next day, the night before were making jokes that attacked their identities and their right to exist within the school. So um, that was what was going on back then, back at high school. Here at USC, there's a, been a lot of precautions since last semester and like over the summer, since there were a lot of Zoom bombings. I know, I believe it was either July or August, the Black community and the School of Cinematic Arts um, held a forum regarding like the, the faculty and different racist things that happened in there. And that call got Zoom bombed with um, people screaming racial slurs and doing a lot of things on the screen. I don't, I don't know if USC ever found out who did the Zoom bombing, but they've ensured, like as you know, the safety measures for like even logging into Zoom meetings has been upped a lot. So um, USC at least has taken the precautions to prevent that from happening in the future. Yeah, that's definitely good. Um, I guess like with those, I. What was it called? Discord or something? What did you say? The yeah, they have like a Discord chat. Um, so was it like? Did you have to put your name to be a part of it? Was it? Did you know exactly which students were writing what they, what was on there in the black the dark humor? Um. Yeah. So all I really know from it is from like my peers who are two years younger than me that are still there. Um. They've told me some of the stuff that's going on, and yeah, people they have their names, their profile pictures up just shamelessly saying stuff because they thought I guess for some reason they would be protected since it wasn't at school but it's still um, like everything is virtual now it's all connected yeah that definitely goes back to your point too with the election how people are just feeling so much more confident in what's on their minds when before I feel like they were probably more hasty about it, but now they think that it's okay to be saying these things and to be public about it even to their peers exactly yeah I guess just moving forward on to like experiences at USC and how I guess for you being like a black male student at USC and how that might have is it changed from high school is it better is it worse um well one thing that definitely has changed I wouldn't say it's worse because people in college at least know to temper their actions because like the consequences are obviously much heavier here in college than they would be in high school. But one thing that I actually have had to change my behavior on, as you all know, whenever there's like a safety concern on campus, we all get mass emails from DPS. And I know me and along with like a lot of my other black male peers, whenever like a description comes out, they're like might say a black male 18 to 24 wearing like a blue hoodie. We make sure not to wear blue hoodies for like the next two or three days because we don't want to be targeted and harassed by DPS just for like matching or fitting the description. So that's something that we always have to be cognizant of, even on USC's campus, like where we live and go to school. So that's just one change I've had to 
um, accommodate from high school to college. Yeah, definitely. And do you think um, also like being on your own because now you're in college and you're, I guess, I don't know if you're, are you in the LA area right now? Um, I'm in Bakersfield, so it's like two hours north of LA. So okay. okay. But I guess maybe your freshman year, being on your own and uh, being a black male student, did you have any fears like coming into being being at USC, especially in the downtown area where um, there are a lot of stereotypes that are um, pushed forward by the community there as well? Um, I want to say I had a lot of fears per se, because in high school, a lot of those stereotypes were fleshed out in like my first one or two years mm-hmm. of people just like assuming the worst because our high school was also downtown in Chicago. So mm-hmm. there was like a lot of those stereotypes there too. So I wouldn't say that was a really big concern of mine and adjusting to USC wasn't too hard because I lived on Somerville my freshman year. That's the um, all black floor in floor tower. Okay. So um, coming home, it felt like community and like I was at home all the time with um, my sweet mates and floor mates. So that wasn't really a huge um, shock for me. Okay, that's good. Amani, do you want to talk about your experience? Was it easier when you came to USC or was it harder? Um, I'd say it's pretty similar. I didn't live in Somerville, so I lived um, in Burncrant. I guess growing up, there wasn't really that like duality of like coming home and having like a black community and then going to school. Like it was just kind of both. <laughs> I was always surrounded by, like, white people for the most part. Um, So, I guess, coming to USC, I didn't really feel the need, I guess, to, like, have a community. Like, it would be nice, but also the prices at floor were kind of expensive. So, (laughs) um, that's kind of basically why I decided not to at the end of the day. But, yeah, I guess besides that, though, experiences were pretty similar with especially with people being like emboldened during school um people i think like a fight broke out like most of the like especially with that day that trump got elected like i know me and most of my friends like just didn't go to school that next day because like we knew the situation and like it's, it was pretty split in half i guess in terms of like political stuff did you go to a public high school i went to a private catholic all-girl so, um, and, oh wow, yeah. there was fights in the school too. Not often, but just that one day, apparently, because um, people were getting bold and like chanting in the cafeteria um, to like, you know, lock her up and, you know, make America great again. And then there was some like stuff that happened on social media where like some girl was like, oh, well, I'm just going to like send all the minorities back. It was a whole thing. Um, so, the administration didn't do much at that time, but yeah. Have they changed anything? Have you seen any changes in the administration at your high school since then, or it's just the same? Yeah, it's kind of the same. We did have like a whole um, forum where we talked about like all the experiences people have had from like years back. There's people that came from like a class of like 1987. Like, <laughs> It was like a whole thing. Um, I don't know if they've done anything yet. Yeah. But yeah. That's interesting too, because I'm sure hearing the experiences of um, the classes that were much earlier and then also hearing the experiences now and seeing the relation between that 
how things haven't changed as much as we hope they would. That must have been a lot too to um, hear. Were, did you attend that or? Yeah, I went to it. Um, yeah, I guess like, I don't know. I don't know if they're really going to do anything about it. Um, yeah. But yeah, they have a big issue of like, I don't know if you've experienced this too, Justin, but like with just like tokenizing their like POC students. Like I I remember in high school, they legitimately made us do a staged photo shoot where we pretended to be in computer science. Um, and they put it on all the posters for like years. Like after I was even left, like it was yeah. ridiculous. So. My high school was exactly like that too. They would tokenize students of color and then would place like we would have to like take these photo shoots and I was put in there too. And we'd be like smiling and laughing at each other, like while we're walking down this like sidewalk and yeah, it's definitely them trying to act like they're more inclusive than they are and putting on this facade. That's not really being backed up by actual systematic change. So that sucks. <laughs> yeah. But um, I guess kind of, we can go into talking a little bit about BSA and then also, because you mentioned that you at your high school, Justin, also had a black at the name of your high school, but at USC, we also have that too. We have the black at USC Instagram account too. So um, maybe you can go into talking about BSA and then also about that account and um, maybe also what BSA is doing currently um, in terms of trying to create communities while we're online, because I think that's probably really difficult right now. Yes, yeah, so BSA institutionally, I guess, within undergraduate student government, we are a programming organization. So we receive USG funds to like put on programs for the um, black community. But obviously, once a lot of the social uprising started around the country this summer, and along with the Black at USC account, we became more advocacy based on campus, um, trying to get a lot of institutional change done. So um, one thing that was done, it came from a lot of BSA efforts, was the changing and removing of BKC from um, yeah. building building. So um, we had a lot of meetings with President Folt and a lot of other people in the administration about that. A lot of people wanted to keep it to like not erase history, but we yeah. said there's obviously other ways to teach history than memorializing this man on a building. But He was involved in um, eugenics, right? Is that what it was? Or Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how did, I mean, how, why were they, I guess, why was that someone that they were willing to put on a building and not really look into the background of it? Did they say anything about like the reasoning behind that? Well, um, I think VKC or like Eric Long, whoever you say his last name, he like was the president of USC and like helped it grow to like its largest, mm. like it brought in like, thousands and thousands of students via like the GI Bill right after World War II, I think. And um, so obviously he's like really influential in USC's history, but at the same time, he was a very racist person. So yeah, it's like the dichotomy of that. Yeah, that's so true. And then I guess BSA. So what, um, so how are you guys been doing things virtually? How has that changed for you? Yes, yeah, so we've been trying to get as much engagement as possible virtually. We've been holding more fun events, I guess, than normal. A lot of times we would have people come in, like panelists. Um, this was before, of course, we were online. We would have panelists come in 
um, professionals talking about whatever career path they're going into. We will hold like lectures discussing intersectionality, um, black feminism, different histories. But, but obviously, we're all staring at a screen for hours and hours on end. So nobody wants to get lectured at even more when they come to BSA meetings. So yeah. we've been holding like game nights. We have some movie nights planned, just more fun events to um, try to help bring the community together. And we've been actually trying out this new thing like speed friending where we just do random breakout rooms of like two or three people. And at first there was some pushback because, you know, everyone doesn't really like breakout rooms. They're awkward at first, but mm-hmm. as, as soon as everyone like actually broke the ice and began discussing, that's been proven to be really good and beneficial at our meetings. Um, and another thing that we're also, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Another thing that we're doing to try to boost community that we started last year is our BSA siblings program. So that's um, anyone who's been on campus for two semesters or more can be a big sibling to anyone who is their first or second semester here at USC. So um, I actually had a big last year and he helped me navigate a lot and helped me actually decide to become a music industry minor because I wasn't aware of like the actual music industry program at USC until um, he opened that path for me. So that's something that helped bridges the gap between a lot of the years of um, different people here at USC to help navigate a PWI space. Yeah, that's really great. I feel like also kind of making it more personal by having a specific person to be able to reach out to, that also can really help as well. Because I've seen too, um, a lot of students are really struggling right now to make connections, especially with the virtual, um, just like having their academic system move to the virtual, sorry, move online. But um, I know you and Amani met online. So that's really cool too, right? So how, how did that go about? And then what do you think have been some really successful ways in terms of kind of creating community virtually and especially to kind of thinking in terms of BSA? Yeah, so me and Imani actually met via social media and we've just been in touch throughout um, this whole quarantine thing because obviously people were like going crazy cabin fever going um, inside. So just meeting new friends and trying to keep in touch throughout all the quarantine, having just different things to be friendly since obviously we can't be face to face or meet in large groups, even though some people at USC have been doing that. Um, just trying to boost like as much friendship and camaraderie. Com- I don't know how to say that word. So we're going to get camaraderie. <laughs> yeah. um, just trying to be as engaging as possible. Yeah. How about you, Moni? Have you like, what do you think has also made your and Justin's friendship kind of stick? Cause I know a lot of times too, when you reach out to people online, you can have a conversation, but it might not fruition into like a real friendship after that. So what do you think has been really helpful in kind of bonding you guys together? Yeah, I guess like biggest thing is just like everything going on in the world. I think it's like a time where, um, especially with everything going on with Black Lives Matter and then also on top of that coronavirus, there's just a lot to talk about <laughs> to be like frank. So, and just kind of the timing of like, it was more of like summer. So it's like easier to like have conversations more often than it would be like during the semester. So yeah, that's yeah. good. That's great. So kind of seeing, cause you said that um, BSA, you had your big and he helped you a lot in terms of figuring out your career path. Are there any things that you would want students listening to this to know about 
how BSA impacted your life and how it could be helpful for them as well? Um, yes. Yeah, so especially throughout this summer, I've met a lot of different students who I wouldn't have had the opportunity to meet on in, on campus um, because obviously on campus, I would just go to class, go to BSA meetings and go home So or go to my dorm. And a lot of students didn't know about all the opportunities that BSA offered in all of our different member organizations because BSA is like a huge umbrella organization that has like a lot of different specific um, interest communities under that. So we have like some social organizations like the BBB, which is for black men on campus, and CIS, which is for black women and non-binary students. And um, we have more career focused things like African-Americans in health and African-American cinema society. So there's just a lot of different things for students to get involved with. So just don't be afraid to engage with these communities that you think you might have an interest in because more likely than not, you'll find people who are in the same boat as you who may not know exactly what path they want to go down in life, but um, you all can help figure that out together. Yeah. And then for yourself, how has BSA kind of been really helpful for you? Yes. Yeah, so obviously navigating a PWI as a student of color is a really difficult experience, as both of you all know. Um, going to class a lot of times where there's not a lot of students who look like you, you might feel out of place and like maybe you don't belong here. But going to a space where everyone has a similar background to you, everyone is going through these same experiences that you go through on a daily basis really helps you feel that sense of community and help you feel helps you feel that like you actually do belong here. You earned your spot here at USC and there's so many great things that you can accomplish with a good support system behind you. Nice. Do you guys ever have like previous alumni come to your meetings or have any speakers or anything like that? Yeah, so um, our probably most notable alumni that pops into a lot of our meetings is Saweetie. She comes um, nice. <laughs> to say hey, to talk about what she's doing in her career, um, her relationship with Quavo. She just she comes to meetings a lot, and especially now virtually, her schedule has opened up a lot more. So, and along with a lot of people in entertainment, so we have um, different career panelists come in. Um, I remember last semester we had a panel called Panel Venture Noir. It was a lot of black business um, owners. So some people who um, own, own businesses that like consult for Coachella and different music festivals. I know um, like some personal fitness trainers to like coach celebrities like her and Anderson Pat came in. Um, it was really cool. So we have a lot of different speakers. We also have this year we're starting like our own internship job fair for um, different like companies who have reached out to BSA looking for black talent. Um, at USC's campus. So that's something that we're looking forward to starting this year. That's really cool. That's, I, I think that also would be really beneficial, especially right now, because I also wanted to ask you about, because you're a sophomore, obviously you might not be looking for full-time opportunities, but you're probably looking for internships and applying to that and then kind of going through the interview process. Have you seen a shift in that since um, everything that's been going on? Obviously, with the pandemic, there is a, an obvious shift, but also in terms of what's been going on with police brutality and how have, have you seen companies and how they've been adjusted? Like, how are they going about trying to be um, as inclusive as possible in this process, too? Well, um, I've seen a lot of my friends' internships obviously been, effect, been affected through the um, COVID pandemic. Um, I actually haven't seen too much of how the um, everything with police brutality going on has affected internships. I've had this internship that I'm in currently since May, 
Um, back home in Chicago, I'm in this group called the Academy Group that helps match us with um, partners and internships um, via like this huge network that they have. I don't know how they know all these people, but they do. Um, so I've been working for a record label since May and um, my boss there, he let me know very early on that I don't work for the record label. I work for him. So I also have another internship with his other company that's been working with the NAACP this summer. And um, I've been doing a lot of their social media stuff. So it's been really interesting to see a lot of these other corporations coming in, trying to work with the NAACP to like boost their corporate image, because obviously a lot of the stuff that um, a lot of these huge companies are doing regarding the Black Lives Matter movement, we've seen silence from them in the past. And now a lot of people are being vocal since that's what's in. And obviously, if you're not vocal, people are going to look at you some type of way. So it's been really interesting seeing all the different um, entities come in, trying to work with the NAACP and um, help out the Black community. Yeah. And kind of all of them coming together to like help the Black community. One thing too could be a concern, like what you were saying was, it might just be done out of pressure from the outside from the outside and from just expectation that businesses should be taking action during this time have you seen certain companies be very genuine in the way that they want to be um taking a foot forward or are there ones that you think are kind of doing it because of the need for like their corporate marketing strategy well i think you can't really tell who's genuine and who's just doing it for show until like time will obviously tell who's genuine once um like a lot of the this end to be woke now like goes away and once a lot of the protests and uprisings go down you'll probably see a lot of these companies also stop being as vocal as they have been these past couple months yeah. um, one company i do believe has been um really vocal and genuine is ben and jerry's they do a lot of stuff um, putting out like different groups are putting out different resources for their consumers and um, other audience to try to help um, the movement as much as possible. I guess quick point, I'm wearing a Ben & Jerry shirt actually. So <laughs> I, mean, um, but, um, I guess moving on to like further into um, Black Lives Matter, I know you went to one of the protests mm -hmm. in Chicago. Do you want to like tell us about that experience a little bit? Yeah, so that first protest in Chicago was, I believe it was the most violent the protest got in the city. Um, it was a really scary experience, to be honest. So we started off like in the downtown section. It was very peaceful at first. And then the police like started like blocking off movements, like trying to contain us into one spot. And we were all trying to get across the river to Trump Tower, where um, like there was another big protest going on. And I don't know if you all have seen this, but once we did get across the river, our mayor like raised all the bridges so like no one can get back across. And the way Chicago is set up, it's like super segregated. So most um, black and brown people live on the south and west sides. And then most um, white people live on the north side of the city. So and then they also cut off like all lines of transportation, like they cut off the bus, the trains. So effectively, like we were all trapped and corralled downtown luckily i was able me and my friends were able to get out and our dad picked or my dad picked us up um over close by my high school since it was downtown and like i knew the area fairly well so that was just a really scary experience to see um how like the city treated the citizens who were just going out there to demand for equal justice 
for um, a lot of the things that our city's police department has done in the past. So, yeah, that, that was just a, a wild experience in general. And then I guess like going off of that, like in terms of like your mental health and like beyond the protest, but just like in general, like, you know, seeing brutality all the time on like social media and all of that, like, mm-hmm. how has that been? It definitely wears you down. Um, I feel at this point, seeing brutality on social media has become so normal for people. And that's not something that should be normalized at all. Seeing somebody get shot or somebody be beat up right in front of their kids in their backseat of their car. And that's something that obviously takes a toll on people's social media and how they view the value of different people's lives. And I just think that's something that the Black community is back to back to back. It's always something new, someone else being shot and killed um, on social media. And like a lot of times it's just right in your face, no warning that this is what you're going to be seeing. And it's just really traumatizing to see this over and over again and think like this could easily be me in these situations, you know? What about you, Amani? Yeah, it was like a really like, I don't even know. It's just like you feel like a lot of pressure too to like, educate everyone (laughs) and like I don't have all the answers um and then always feeling this kind of like pressure of like well I I always need to be posting because like I'm like the representative of my whole community like for some reason like so um there's like kind of that pressure and then at the time like I just needed to take a break for like a second but then at the same time you're like oh I'm not like you know continuously like educating myself or I need to like keep updating on stuff so um there's a lot of pressure in that way um in terms of coping I just kind of took some breaks (laughs) from social media in general so yeah I in terms of people kind of looking to you to be the representative of your entire community that also can I feel like can take a huge toll on your mental health because it feels like you have a lot of responsibility in your hands kind of seeing that from a um, your own personal perspective, but also kind of in terms of BSA as well. How has that affected um, kind of your your mental health as well, maybe the people around you in BSA? Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I know the um, me especially and with our other co-executive directors, one thing, I think it was like early August, we were all just exhausted from all the work that we've been doing over the summer, all the meetings that we've been having with administration that go in circles and circles because at the end of the day, there's not a lot of change that they like want to see happen on campus. So it's a lot of going in circles and not seeing the change that you're advocating for. And it's truly exhausting. And I remember to Imani's point earlier where she was talking about taking breaks from social media. There's always like this fight going on in your head. Like, okay, I know I need to take a break because this is taking a toll on my mental health, but at the same time, you don't want to take a break because you might need to know something that's going on in the city if there's an area that you need to stay away from because it's dangerous right now. So it's always that like mental battle going on of you don't know if you need to um, take a break from social media or stay as active as possible for your own safety and advocacy. Yeah, and has there, obviously um, a lot of people that are not in, not part of people of color or the black community, they kind of see this as an issue that's happening right now because they see it because it's now all over social media and they weren't viewing it 
as something that's been constantly going on just because it's been brought to light by um, the media. So have you personally seen a change in your attitude towards being more alert? Because you're saying that you have to be on social media to find out if there's something that's dangerous in your area. Has there been a shift or has it just stayed the same because you've always been having to be on alert? Um, well, I guess in terms of like being on alert of racism, that hasn't really changed. I've been living with like living in a racist city for 19 years, but um, being on alert definitely went up when the National Guard got called to Chicago. So where we lived, the um, National Guard was actually stationed like a couple blocks away from us, like in a huge parking lot. And then like they had tanks lined up on the street right around the corner from us. And just knowing that walking around, a lot of these um, officers who have been called into the city aren't familiar with the city that they're in, aren't familiar with the people that live there. And all they know, the people coming from the protests that they've been told to like monitor look just like me, you know? So being on alert of all these heavily armed people who are immediately on edge in the city, um, that definitely shifted. Another thing that happened, it was really bad that like when the looting started, a lot of communities of color were targeted because, as I said, the early our mayor like blocked off the white neighborhoods and like the richer neighborhoods in the city. So um, I remember at one point the looting hit the Latino neighborhood in the city and there was like a huge race war that happened for like one or two weeks between black um, citizens of the Chicago and then like Latino citizens or like the, all the gangs in the city. So that was another thing, like you had to completely stay out of those neighborhoods if you were black because they were like shooting at black people on site if they saw them to like protect the property of their own neighborhoods. So just being on alert and trying to stay safe from all the um, different angles of being in like the city during that time was a lot. Yeah, that's, that's really um, interesting to hear that. I mean, the government protecting obviously this happens all the time but protecting white citizens in their neighborhoods and then that also having an impact to cause more conflict between different people of color as well that's just um and i i don't even think they probably acknowledge that doing that had those effects as well on the communities around them too but um i guess kind of maybe going into talking about um so we had talked about this pressure of kind of feeling like you have to explain to other people your experience, also having to explain to other people what they can do to be a better ally and things like that. Have you guys been experiencing that yourself in terms of friends reaching out and looking to you for answers? And then on top of that, is there something that you would want them to know and why that affects you? Like how, how that affects you when they do reach out to you to ask for answers? I guess in my experience, I think I only had like one person ask me about like, oh, like what can I do then? And it's like, yeah, it's kind of all over Instagram. Like I don't want to be mean, but like, <laughs> you know, you can just like Google it. I don't know. Um, but I think for the most part, like most of my friends, um, they're pretty proactive and, you know, yeah. they're not themselves, researching themselves spreading the word in that way um yeah I guess like yeah I would say my biggest advice would just be like I know it's valuable to get um I guess people's like firsthand experiences like not everything can be you know just googled 
but I also think there's like so many personal anecdotes out there that you could seek out that you know you don't always have to put pressure on your friend to come out with stuff that you know they might even not want to talk about you know because like some of the stuff can be like pretty like traumatizing and stuff so um yeah I don't know if Justin has anything to add to that but yeah, I'm in the same boat um, where a lot of my friends took the initiative themselves to um, go out and do the research about a lot of the topics that were being um, debated over or debated and protested about. Um, they took the initiative to learn about that themselves. I remember one point in President Folk's initial email about everything that was going on was like hosting a town hall where Black students can come in and like voice their grievances and their um, different testimonies of stuff that's happened to them on campus. And we immediately pushed back to that because um, it's not like they don't know what's going on on campus. There's an Instagram page with hundreds and hundreds of these testimonies that they could easily look at. And basically they're just asking students to like relive the trauma that they went through in um, these spaces that were like obviously very hurtful for their mental health um, on campus. So that was one thing we pushed back in that email that we didn't want black students to have to relive that trauma, regurgitate all the pain that they went through in those instances when like, obviously it's easily accessible for you all to go and see what's going on. And I'm sure like they all know what's going on from the countless amount of reports that have been submitted already. So. Yeah. So how, how was the response to that pushback? Mm -hmm. So we had, um, I think it was like two or three meetings with President Fulton and VP Crisp about that um, that email. And they were actually very, they were way more receptive to it than I initially thought they would be. And obviously, like, no town halls have happened because of the pushback from, like, a lot of the Black community didn't want to see that happen either. So um, they were receptive to it. They listened to our advice and didn't have those town halls and just encouraged students if they felt um, compelled enough to submit Title IX complaints um, because officially the, the university like can't take any of the Black at USC posts and um, do anything about that since they're like unofficial anonymous complaints. Um, mm -hmm. Like they obviously can do something if they wanted to, but like officially they can't. It has to like go through the Title IX office, but um, that was one thing that they were actually receptive in listening to our um complaints and demands in that instance. That's good. Um, yeah, were there anything else that kind of stood out to you um, that you wish was different in the way the university responded to what was going on and to the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as maybe we can also kind of go into talking about what happened with USG as well. Yeah, so um, the entire USG impeachment proceedings, you know, that started from the Black at USC page, where people um, voiced their concerns with former USG President Truman Fritz and um, his um, practices during his campaign, I guess. He like broke a lot of campaign rules and also um, did a lot of microaggressive behavior. So people were calling for his impeachment and also called for the impeachment of Vice President Rose Rich for her complicity and silence in it, even though she like witnessed everything going on. And the student who led that is one of my friends, Abir Tajani. And um, obviously, some people, Abir never actually said this, but a lot of other people pointed out how Rose was also a Zionist and that um, obviously didn't make Palestinian students feel welcome on campus or any 
more welcome than they already are. So um, President Folt sent out an email denouncing anti-Semitism and a beer was actually targeted by a lot of different outside institutions and individuals um, via social media. People were sending her like different hate messages, a lot of slurs, threats um, against her future and even some threats against her life and those um and those messages. So that was one thing that we really didn't like to see that President Folt, like we obviously like to see President Folt addressing any hate on campus, but scapegoating a student who like didn't really have anything to do with um, any anti-Semitism was something that like we obviously had some pushback with. So BSA put out our own statement regarding that. And that received a lot of pushback as well from a lot of the same institutions and individuals that were attacking the beer. So that was a really interesting um, experience for me because I got to learn a lot about Zionism myself. It wasn't a topic that I was fully versed in, but I had to learn about it in order to help defend one of our students who was being unfairly um, harassed and targeted for something that she didn't do. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've also heard on a lot of different campuses because I actually used to go to some of the Claremont, I went to Scripps, which was a Claremont college. um, And they have a really, um, really vocal group on campus that is, a Zionist group on their campus. And then they also have, um, we also have it on our campus, but it's Justice for Palestine, um, a group. And they've also, I've had friends there who have been talking about how they've also been experiencing with the Black Lives Matter movement. They feel like they're kind of also, like they're not able to put forward their, their responses in terms of like how they feel because they feel like people are going to attack them for being anti-Semitic and being like towards these people, which, mm-hmm. which kind of, it's also kind of, it's very damaging because then people feel like they can't have a voice or they can't um, show their support for other people because they're going to be attacked for something that they've had to struggle with by being in the justice for Palestine group already, you know? So it's very interesting. I know we just kind of had a conversation about, you know, we're not here to <laughs> provide everyone uh, our life yeah, it's not It's not your responsibility to be telling people how to be a better ally. Um, that's yeah. not it. But maybe also just going into resources for Black students specifically, too. We can go into that relating to mental health, if you know anything specific to that. Because there are a couple things that I have here. Um, the I think you, might, you probably have heard of it, about it, but the emotional emancipation circles that um, Keck has been doing. So there's those which are kind of self-help support groups for Black people. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on those, if you've um, engaged with the health center and seen how helpful those have been. You want to talk about that and then maybe also going into resources that you would recommend. Um, I actually haven't had the chance personally to engage with those, so I want to be able to touch on how effective I think they are. The um, idea and foundation behind it sounds great, though. And sounds like it will be a great resource for Black students on campus. I know um, the SEIP office and the counseling services here at USC have been putting more emphasis on getting more Black counselors um, within USC, um, within that entire department. So I know, I believe, two more um, Black women counselors joined the team this year and one more Black male counselor joined the team. So um, that's always the resources virtual, of course, now. Um, to go there. Um, another resource that 
I use a lot my first year at USC. I don't know how you can really use it now. I think they're trying to do some more engaging stuff is the CBCSA, the Center for Black Cultural and Student Affairs. Um, it's basically just like a BSA, but 24 seven. So they like put on events for you know, black students here on campus. And it's just a sense of community for black students to feel um, welcomed and not feel like they always have to have that burden of teaching their peers about racism and how to um, be a better ally in the fight against the system. System, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Systematic injustice. And um, that's always been a good space for me and a lot of my peers to help just unwind and relax in a space that can be as stressful as USC. The USC BSA um, bio and in, on Instagram, there's a huge master guide for both black students and allies on how to um, be a better ally there. So um, there's a link tree in our bio with a lot of different resources for um, both black students and non-black students here on campus. So check that out. That's great. All right. Yeah, we'll definitely link these on our Facebook page so people can check them out. Um, is there anything else that you would want people to know um, at USC and outside of USC that we didn't get to touch on just before we wrap up? Um, no, I think we actually touched on everything that I had to say coming into this. Um, once again, thank you all for allowing me to come and share my experiences both at home and at USC and how we can all strive to make USC a better place for all students. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for being willing to share that with us and being a part of this podcast focused on mental health and seeing how we can make a further impact by also hearing other stories. So thank you so much and um, have a good rest of your day. You too. Have a good weekend. Bye. It's not a game. It's a red